This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey friends, welcome back to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica, and today I'm talking with Trillian Newbell. She's the author of many books, and she works for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, better known as ERLC to some, and she's also a mom of two. I personally consider her a thought leader, someone I really respect and look up to when it comes to issues related to faith and politics, which if you know me, you know that's something I care a lot about. Today we talk about what it means to be a Christian in today's divisive political climate and how we can and should live our lives to respect diversity and teach our kids how to be unifiers and not dividers. You can really tell that Trillia has some preacher in her in today's episode, and actually you can find her preaching on YouTube, by the way. Um, But I walked away from this conversation with some really important reminders about speaking the truth in love no matter what the issue and remembering that we all are, first and foremost, children of God. Enjoy my conversation with Trillia Newbell. All right, everyone. Well, I'm here today with Trillia Newbell. She's the Director of Community Outreach for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, ERLC, some know it as. Also a writer for the Gospel Coalition, Christianity Today, among other things, and a writer of books, uh, which we will be talking about a few of those today. So Trillia, thank you so much for coming on to the Worth Your Time podcast today. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm so glad that you said yes. Um, I <laughs> have been a fangirl for a while. I heard you, you first. <laughs> I heard you first on Jamie Ivey's podcast a couple of years ago, and um, I don't often buy the books of the guests I hear on podcasts just because I hear so many of them. But I did actually buy uh, one of yours when I heard you on there, and then I've also since bought the uh, United uh, book about diversity that you wrote, and I really loved it. So. Um, so oh. thank you for saying yes today. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so give us a little background on you, your family, and your life. I know you live in Tennessee, so just give us a little background there. Sure. I live right outside of Nashville, and I am from Knoxville, so not about three hours west. And I have a son who is almost 13. He's 12. <clears throat> and a daughter who's nine, and my husband and I have been married for 15 years. His name is Thern. And and you just asked me, what what else do you want to know? <laughs> that's well, about it. For, that's for that. that's the good ba- that's the good basic background. We'll start yeah. from there. Um, and and so there's so much I want to talk with you about. But one of the things I I do want to discuss is your book United uh, United captured by God's vision for diversity, um, a very relevant book for conversation that's going into di- on in today's society. Um, so can you give us a bit of background on that book and why you wanted to write it? I mean, it's been, (laughs) it's been a contentious couple of years talking about diversity and, um, a lot of tension in society, but, um, you, you wrote this beautiful book about it. And could you just give us a bit of background on that? Well, it's interesting because when I wrote it, which would have been maybe six years ago or so. There was there was tension, but we we didn't hear about it quite as frequently as we're hearing about it now, and so I wrote it because I I just sensed that the Lord was um, calling me to put 
on paper some of what I had experienced growing up um, as a minority in a predominantly white space and also, uh, and by space, I mean church, <laughs> and also um, just the beauty of it, the beauty of diversity in the church and and relationships and friendships. Uh, and so God, it, God just was showing me, uh, I guess through his word, that it was his idea to create us uniquely and it was his idea to create the church. And, and so, and so I wanted to, to try to do, uh, and I would, I'll use the word elementary, a pretty basic um, introductory uh, theological, but also testimony part, um, just my story of friendship in a book form. Yeah. And you, I, I heard you say recently on another podcast that the reason sometimes that diversity, quote, diversity has become a contentious word at all is simply because it's linked to um, political divisiveness, that our political ideologies have become our idols um, it, in yes. talking about this as well. So I just, I'd love to hear more about that and how, um, you know, certain things that we should be thinking about as Christians get way too wrapped up in politics. Absolutely. Um, when we're talking about diversity and race, there is a reason why it's politicized. It's because it's how our nation was born. We were um, born in in division and uh, slavery and 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 Jim Crow laws. And so there are there's a lot of work that needs to be done politically and with laws, or that needed to be done in order for us to address any of this. So. Uh, so for the United States context, there is a reason for it. Unfortunately, what's happened is the church has adopted so much of the politics is divisive and and have lost the and I and I say lost. I'm I don't I don't know if the church in general understood completely, so I'm gonna use the word lost, but lost doctrinal reasons why we pursue one another. Um, that we are made in the image of God, that Jesus died for every tribe, tongue, and nation. So we are the family of God. So the doctrine of adoption and then revelation. And there's so much more that the veil of hostility has been broken down in the body of Christ in Jesus. And so if we move away from any of the scriptures and just rely on politics, when we are addressing this topic as Christians, we are going to fail. We're going to fail in this area. But we speak a better word to this topic because of Jesus, because he has united us. That is our reality. He's bought our reconciliation, though we don't live and walk in that reconciliation. It's bought. And so when we when we take our politics and make them over and beyond what the word of God says, then yes, we, we've idolized it. We've politicized important topics and um, and things that should be central to the conversation and really the, the life of the church. There's been a lot of division in the church the past couple of years in regards to politics. And what have you what do you personally make of, of that division in terms of you know, what's changed? Because it seems like um, not yeah. that the church has always been <laughs> aligned on every issue, but it does seem like there's been a really, there's been a divide down the middle in terms of, you know, not, I don't want to, you know, get into analyzing President Trump, but it, it is to do with him. And so why do you think this has happened? And do you see 
the church or at least some in the church really going astray in this area? The answer to astray, yes, I do. I, I think I think we can see people who are um, really sacrificing what they believe about Jesus for political gain. And it is it is very sad. It's been a sad season. But I think I don't think any of these things weren't there before. I just think they were allowed to come alive. Hmm. Um, I, I, during this season, we've seen politicians uh, acting in ways that are we haven't seen before in speech um, in in also activity on on social media. It, we've seen things that we haven't experienced before, and it's kind of it's given permission for people to. I'm going to use the word unkind, but that's not the evil. Evil is a better word. For it. <laughs> and, and so we've we've just um, <clears throat> so our discourse has been one that is uh, disrespectful, hateful, filled with anger, angst, um, confusion. We are not we aren't able to communicate, and it has infiltrated the church deeply, and. The, so the divide also comes with those statistics. I don't know how accurate the 81% of all white evangelicals voted for Trump statistic is, but um, that statistic is out there. And we do know that a majority did vote in that. And that has div- divided the church. So Again, we've we've seen a lot of people just confused by those who um, are our leaders in the church are aligning themselves with political ideologies and, and and leaders that are are not walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. So it just doesn't make sense. There's there's a part of me that was surprised, and there's another part that it's it's once you have permission to to express or align or I, I I just think it almost like misery loves company. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you get you. I, it doesn't surprise me that things are coming out, and and it's actually gonna it's gonna be a good thing ultimately. Why do you say it's gonna be a good thing? Well, because you cannot d- darkness and and things that are hidden can't be changed. You can't grow in the dark, and so I think if if there are are wounds in the church that, I mean, they're out there. We need to heal. And God can use all of our trials. He promises to, but he can use these wounds and these pains that are now coming to light in order to unite us because there will be people who will confess and repent. And there, there, I, I don't believe this is <laughs> the end of all things. I believe this in some ways is the beginning of revival, of new things. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's that's a good thing. Yeah, that reminds me of actually something I read in our friend Dr. Russell Moore's book um, about, uh, I can't remember specifically what he was talking about, but he was like, the church is indestructible. Like the church is yeah. God's, God's house and there's nothing that we as human beings can do to truly destroy it because he upholds it. And you hear or you see a prominent Christian leader defending pretty much indefensible behavior. And it's like, what conversation would you have with that person if you sat down to coffee with them? And what might you say to them? Because 
you know, we can't say that, oh, well, they're, they're not really a Christian because they're saying that. We, we don't know their hearts. But what, what do you think you might say to someone that you do see maybe propping up some really negative things and in the name of God? Yeah, I think the first question I would ask is why? What, what, why do you feel compelled to prop up um, this a certain person or a certain idea? What do you believe the scriptures say about this topic or idea? And how are you reconciling your Christian faith with with what you are? seeing and saying and endorsing. So I would ask a lot of questions and let them talk. I'm not going to, I won't accuse. I'm going to ask. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then based on their answer, I will share the truth. I'm not going to hold back on speaking the truth in love, but I, I think it, I, I just, I want to know what is going, why, what is it that is compelling people to, to align with or agree with things that seem so clearly opposed to God's gospel and and the truth of the scripture and love of neighbor. So I I need to know what what it is. And I I have a feeling a lot of people will say because I've read this we we didn't hire a what's the you know where I'm going we pastor in chief yeah pastor in chief and blah, blah 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 and I would so if that's part of the answer I I would um I would just condemn the words that have been said. And we want, we do, character does matter. It mattered 10 years ago. It matters today. So we need to, um, and, and our, when we stand before the Lord, we're going to give an account. <laughs> we will give a, an account before Jesus about what we have said and done in our body. And so it will matter if we endorse something that was, um, appalling. It's going to matter. It's going to matter. The struggle in my mind as a Christian was just not, was just seeing so many people being so focused on maintaining control um, that they were willing to take that um, into their own hands and try to kind of make it work. And um, I want to ask you about your new book, uh, If God is for Us, The Everlasting Truth of Our Great Salvation. just came out, what, last week? Yeah, it's. I think about the sixth book, and it is my first, however, Bible study. Oh, very cool! And what yeah. what inspired you to you chose Romans? What inspired you to choose Romans? Well, I chose Romans because I mean it's Romans, so rich. <laughs> it's so rich and so yeah. Good. And I, I haven't seen a a Bible study written by a woman th- from Romans. Now, I will say this: I didn't do the entire book of Romans because that would have taken a good 20 years to try to. <laughs> so I concentrated on Romans 8 and I concentrated there because um, there's it's rich. It's one chapter. It's most of everyone's favorite chapter. And I, I thought if I were going to spend some time in Romans, this would be a, a, a good chapter to soak in for six weeks because it's a six week Bible study and to just allow the word to uh, wash over you, the truth that God is for you and nothing can separate you. And our trials are for a purpose and and not to be compared with the inheritance that we're about to receive. And there's 
scripture, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So there's so much in that text that I, I wanted to see. I wanted to see myself and I wanted to encourage others. Well, I haven't obviously gotten through the whole thing yet, but I did order it and I'm excited to start. I actually recommended it. Um, we're about to start my Bible study for this session and we're taking recommendations on what we should study. And so I said, we should study this book. I just got it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, but I was reading through it and I, I looked at the end because uh, you probably do this too. I, I find a lot of readers and writers do this. I read every single word and page of a book, like including all acknowledgments and yeah, thank I yous. And I, even, I read all the recommendations and the quotes and all the things. So I thought I would flip to the back and I I think this was in the end. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but you had this quote from C.S. Lewis that I just was dying over because I hadn't heard it and I loved it. I loved it so much I turned it into a graphic and put it on my Facebook page. <laughs> um, oh. But um, this is the quote. There are no ordinary people. You have never yes. talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But yes. it is immortals with whom we joke, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And that just kind of took my breath away for a minute because yes. it's like, like I wrote on my Facebook like text, I wrote, you don't know a mere mortal. They don't exist. Because nope. we're always talking about, oh, I'm a mere mortal, but you're not. And so uh, what, what made you pick out that quote and use it specifically in the book? Okay, that is from his book, Mere Christianity. So if anyone wants to grab that. And I wrote that in there because at the very end of the book, I'm encouraging people to go and share the gospel. And by recognizing that you do not engage with mere mortals, but you're engaging with people who have a, who will live on forever, that, um, that it's, it's important that we, we see people for how God sees them and that they are made in the image of God, that they have souls, they're human. And, um, rather than I, I think we can deal with people flippantly. Mm -hmm. And so I, I wanted us to really think through how we view people specifically and in order to inspire evangelism that um, we want to take this Romans 8 that we've just learned about and all of the first, you know, all of uh, all of the scriptures <laughs> and share it with people how selfish of us to not. If this is true, if what we believe is true, they are everlasting splendors or horrors, and we need to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ, if this is what we believe to be true. So that was why I was inspired to put the quote in there. Well, in an interview, you said, uh, in the book, you talk about hospitality being an avenue to being able to share the gospel with people and love people, welcoming people to our homes and our tables, which I feel like hospitality has gotten kind of a resurgence of popularity in the past couple of years, which I love. I think, right. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know uh, Rosaria Butterfield's book uh, was really big last year. Um, the gospel comes with a house key. That's right. That's what it's called, right? Yes. Um, I have actually not read it, but I'm, it's on my list and I need to. Um, but you said also in an interview, I wonder if we are looking for programs to change people or systems and not the gospel. Is the gospel enough to change a heart? And I think sometimes, 
we are uncomfortable with sharing the gospel and maybe we have lost the art of simply doing just that. Um, do you see people sort of relying on a program or a church or something else um, rather than simply trusting that God will use their words, their simple words as they are um, in sharing with people? Yeah, I think most people do. I don't think, I think there are a few who would say that they love evangelism and they go and share their faith. It's hard. <laughs> it, it is hard. It is hard. Um, but most of my, most, I'll just confess most of it, the time, it's just hard for me because I feel like I want to put on headphones and just walk or, or right. read or, or it's hard for me because I'm being self-focused, but, um, but opening our mouths and, and, and is, is, is it, isn't hard. It's, it's just, scary. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just think we, um, I think more people rely on, on these things. And, and unfortunately I I would say that from, I I obviously have not been to every church in the U S but from the little bit that I've learned about churches being super programmed. And I wonder if this is something that's an epidemic of the churches at large in general, not just individuals, but churches where the gospel is kind of a side note to all the activity and random stuff that's going on. And so I think, um, I, I, I think that we need to just trust the Lord that it, it's the power of God's salvation. So we need to trust that the gospel has power. And, and another thing, (laughs) I think we often get concerned about results. I can't remember but there's a quote that says something like, our failure isn't that we shared the gospel and we don't see the results. Our failure is when we never share the gospel because right. God is the one who finishes the good work he began. God is the one who changes hearts. We can't. So we only fail when we don't share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's not a spreadsheet in heaven tracking uh, our progress in that way. Right. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. and, and there's grace for stumbling and not being able to say, say the right words or even think of the right words. There's grace for that. So God isn't looking for eloquent speech. He's looking for faithful, faithful, uh, stewards of this good, good news that we have. Just pray, praying for the opportunities to open up and then just trusting God that he will give us the words or use the words that we choose um, in the way that um, that will honor him. And it may not be in that moment. It may be two years later and we may never see it. We may never know the impact of what we're doing until we get to heaven. But it's just having the faith to trust that God is is, is using you in that way and um I wanted to ask you about another term that's kind of, I feel like it's gained popularity lately or people have been talking about it more lately, and that's the term image bearers. Um, yeah. I read Daniel Darling's book, which was which was great, and he talks about this a lot. Um, can you tell us, and I know there's probably a lot of people listening maybe that don't even know what that means. Uh, what is an image bearer, and why is that such an important thing to talk about when we're not only just talking about ourselves and our own self-worth, but also when we're thinking about other people and we can apply this to things that are happening right now when we're talking about 
um, you know, situations related to uh, the refugee crisis or when we're talking about issues related to pro-life. Um, tell us about what it means to be an image bearer. Yes. You know, it's funny because I've actually used that word a couple of times in our, this conversation, and I hadn't considered that people may not have even heard of the image of God or the Imago Dei, mm-hmm. which we find in Genesis 1, that God created male and female, and he created them both equally, and he created them in his image, which means that we have the ability to reflect our creator, God. And in God creating us in his image, he's given us value and worth. Every person from womb to tomb is valuable and has worth. We are created to reflect our creator God. And so there are aspects of his, uh, his, who he is that we can um, reflect on our neighbor, like loving your neighbor and, and uh, mercy and justice and just various aspects of his character. So, so um, that's what it means to be an image bearer. Of course, that is skimming the surface because we could spend probably another two hours just talking about image bearing and, what that means <laughs> and, and how that relates to whatever. But the most important thing is, is that it gives us inherent value and worth and dignity because we are created by God. We are not our own. God has created us. God knit us together in our mother's womb. God gave us a name. God gave us a purpose. And so it is God's doing. And we don't called us to himself. It's really remarkable. Good grief. Think about Psalm 8. God has created the heavens. He has created um, all these things. And the scriptures say, and the psalmist cry out, what is man that you were mindful of him? You knew we were going to sin against you, God, and yet you're mindful of us. And so I think that's just remarkable. Yeah. I, I love that term. And I, I had heard it and I knew it, but hadn't thought too deeply about it. And it's, it's something that continues to come up. So I feel like it's God saying, hey, pay attention. <laughs> I've got an important message here for you. It's the reason why we fight for the justice of the unborn and the justice for the black and brown. And, you know, it's the reason why we want to love our neighbor is because they are made in God's image that God has given them um, equal value. Well, I wanted to go, I meant to ask this earlier, but I'm going to bring it up now because I had it at the end of my questions. But um, just in talking about um, some of the issues we were talking about earlier, the contentious racial issues sometimes we're seeing in our society, I wanted to ask you about, okay, so for me, I don't want things to be the way they are now in 25 years. I don't want the kind of division that we're seeing and just the, I want to teach my kids to be different and I want them to make a difference and I want them to be the people that, that, that change the way things are going in, in the United States right now. Um, and, and I'm wondering your thoughts on how can we raise kids to be, um, conscious of these things to to be understanding of differences and to welcome differences and we hear so much like don't just hang out with people that think like you don't just hang out with people that look like you but what does that look like practically speaking in our day-to-day lives i think it practically looks like learning about our history learning about 
um, God's word and what God's word says about it. And um, I think practically it looks like celebrating our differences, the diversity of people of all tribes and nations. Um, It looks like uh, inviting people into your home so that there is a diversity in your home. And if it's not there, it looks like inviting people, inviting the history at your table so that people your kids are learning and growing. So here's the good news. The good news is Jesus Christ died on the cross, bearing the wrath that we deserve, that he has united us through the gospel. The veil of hostility has been broken down in the body of Christ. The bad news is we are sinners. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And until Jesus returns and all things are made new, we are going to be in that already but not yet waiting season of sad, uh, discouraging discourse. I, I think it can get better, but it will not end until Jesus returns. What we can do as Christians is to educate ourselves so that we can speak intelligibly about it and so that we can love our neighbor as ourselves, because that's what we're called to do. And we cannot love what, what we do not know. And so we need to pray and ask God to help us to gain knowledge so that we can extend love Um to our neighbor. And that's my prayer for my own kids. I'm, we're trying to learn about um, the differences of cultures and people. And so that when they engage with someone who is not like them, it is not weird. They already know that God has created them. It, they can just love and enjoy and get to know and befriend them. And that is my prayer for the church. Okay. That's a good point. In terms of it's not going to end because it's not. This is not. This is not heaven, <laughs> and the earth is a fallen world. So, um, yeah. I think that's good to remember that we we cannot solve all things here, and we're not. This isn't our home. So it isn't. It isn't. And that longing that we feel, that longing that you feel, Erica, I feel it too, every single day. Lord, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. This is not our home. And it is just, we can grow weary. And I have been praying, Lord, help those who are in this, in the fight, who desire for good, not to grow weary in doing good because it is hard. And so um, I do think there can be progress, even if it's progress in just your neighborhood, that's progress. And that's something we can celebrate. All right. I like that. Um, So I was reading your tweets and (laughs) you said there was a couple of things you wanted to try doing more in 2019, including laughing, taking yourself less seriously, extending more grace to others and enjoying the Lord through prayer and reading. Um, Now you, your voice, I have to tell you, I don't know if anyone's ever told you this, your voice just radiates joy. I just, I Uh just, it really does. Like, I just feel like I'm just listening to joy when you talk. And I just love that energy. Um, do you, do you, are you naturally a joyful person? Yes, I am. Yeah. It's a God given joy, but it isn't it. I have always been a little bit of a happy, (laughs) (laughs) nothing wrong with that. (laughs) Yeah. I wouldn't say happy go lucky because I am all, I can, I can see, I I carry burdens, but I am generally just joy. Yeah. I'm generally joyful, but I have appreciated it in greater ways because I, um, during the last couple of years, I've experienced uh, some deeper, 
discouragement um, because of the whole everything going on in our political world. And so and so I when I have those consistent moments of just absolute joy, I know that's the Lord and and I'm grateful for it. So. Yeah, that is a a goal of mine is just to laugh more because and Twitter, oh man, it can be so great and so terrible. And and so I've done some things to protect my eyes and restrict my, you know, to not to be on social media. That one in particular. What kind so of my, rules do you have for yourself for that? Yeah, so um right now I am but in the morning, I I read my word typically before checking social media. That's a good idea. Yeah. And so that I'm grounding in grounding my soul in something that's edifying. And then during the work hours, I'm, I'm trying to stay off. I was on a little today during the work hour because someone shared something so sweet and I was like, Oh, I got to (laughs) respond. And so, but, um, but yes, during the work hours, I try to stay off and then, um, I don't let it be the last thing I see at night. Mm -hmm. So, so I have just some, a few guardrails and, um, and I'm going to probably continue to restrict and refine my, my social media intake as the, as the year goes on. Yeah. I saw, I noticed on your blog that you had written some posts about that last year, about yes. the habits that we form. And I've been, uh, that thought that you had about, or that action that you've taken to, to read the word or to be in prayer before opening up social media. Like to me, that's such a clear, a clear direction or um, instruction simply because we need to put on our, you know, quote armor of God before walking into the wilderness that is social media. Absolutely. It is like, because for me, I, I'm very, I'm very sensitive and I will cry very easily if someone criticizes me and it's not something I like about myself, but it is true. And, you know, occasionally I will wake up to something that is mean or not even mean, sometimes just a criticism um, of something that I've written or said. And if I don't have the truth of, uh, you know, Jesus with me, when I encounter that, it's going to be a lot harder to take. And so I think that is so vitally important. And I I would say majority of people don't do that. And even majority of Christians don't do that because our phones are by our beds and we wake up and we open them up and we see what's going on. And uh, I don't think that's healthy, a healthy habit to have. I, I want to ask you a couple questions, end of the podcast questions um, that I like to ask that are a little bit more fun. Uh, number one, do you have any daily habits or hacks that you, um, that you do to kind of keep yourself on track and kind of keep things flowing as they should in your life? I write to-do lists mm-hmm. every morning, every single morning. And I will sometimes write at 9.30 a.m., do this, at 10.30. I, I, I am... I write down everything I need to do and uh, not not and, a special app or anything, just a piece of paper. Just a piece of paper. Hey, it works. <laughs> Old school works sometimes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, and if you had a message and I should have sent you this before, but if you had one message to pass to your children, what would it be? Jesus loves you and he, he, you will see him soon. <laughs> <laughs> So watch yeah, yourself. It would be the, would be the go- that's hilarious. It would be the gospel. I would that would be the only message that I that they gosh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be if you could have dinner or drinks with one celebrity, who would it be? Oh, 
<laughs> okay, this is hilarious, but I'm so interested. I want to meet Jennifer Garner. Oh, she's on my list too. <laughs> she's so, she seems so down to earth. I, I just think, oh my goodness, I think we'd be friends. And Queen Latifah. <laughs> oh my gosh, why, why Queen Latifah? Because she's, I, I just grew up watching her and she just seems so fun. Now, of course, TV, you know, but I just would be so interested in just palling around with her and getting to know her with Jennifer Law, uh, Garner. So. <laughs> that wasn't expecting that answer, but I love it. Uh, she does seem pretty cool. I have to say all the things I've seen her in, she's always come across as pretty cool. So I, that would be a fun dinner. All right. Last yeah. question. How... Have you read any books, podcasts, or listened to any podcasts, read any books, watched any TV shows lately that you could recommend? Now, I know you're a big book reader because I saw on your blog that you guys are doing a book club for yes. 2019. So um, feel free to recommend some books right now because I'm always looking for those. Yeah, well, I would encourage you, if you're looking for a ton of books, you could just go to my website and see that uh, post of mm -hmm. all the books that I'm looking at. Reading through, but the Jesus Way by Eugene Peterson has been chow. Oh, you would love it, Erica. Actually, the especially the beginning. I need to it's read been, something from him. I haven't. Yeah, the beginning of it is pretty. It's pretty challenging, and it challenges today's um, political world in um, I, um, idolatry. It's really good. Uh, and then I'm looking forward to reading some Phyllis Wheatley poems. Mm -hmm. And I think I think, and I'm reading a. Um, biography of Frederick Douglass. Mm. Yes. And then I have, I read a lot. Mm -hmm. so, Me too. <laughs> oh, yeah. If, if someone's looking to restart and rethink their year, um, or I'm not sure when the podcast will come out, or, but restart or rethink um, their schedule. Deep Work is a good book to read. It's mm -hmm. a, a, a book about, it's a book about work. And I'm also reading a book on leadership called You Don't Need a Title to Ooh, Be a Leader. I like is, that. Just the title. <laughs> yeah. It's, I was like, oh, my goodness. This is, and it's all about really service. It's good. So I could, I could keep going forever and ever and ever. <laughs> okay. I, I, just, I, I do want to ask you one more question. And that is when you're, when you're kind of navigating the, t the tweets and the news and all that. Do you have any thought leaders that you look up to um, in terms of finding direction for how to think about issues or things and anyone like that, that you consider a leader? You know, I have really enjoyed David French lately. I, I don't know him personally, but I have enjoyed getting to know his Twitter feed <laughs> and um, just learning his yeah. Um, uh, Dr. Russell Moore mm -hmm. is, is my boss, but <laughs> <laughs> he's my boss, but he's smart. <laughs> he's my boss, but he's also, he is extremely smart. Oh, and I love him so much. <laughs> and David French. I also love David French. <laughs> yeah. And we're on the same page. Uh, so, which is really encouraging, of course. And then, um, I enjoy following Thabiti Anyabwile. Mm -hmm. Yep. I know who that is. Yeah, and he's a he wouldn't call himself a thought leader, I don't think. He'd just laugh if when he know if he hears this, but he is and and he's a pastor, not a politician, but he does um weigh in. He weighs in, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, it's helpful. Um and then some ladies, Christina Edmondson, mm -hmm. she is um she's so thoughtful in the way that she communicates 
mostly love of neighbor. She just keeps reminding us, we need to love our neighbor. And so I'm like, okay. Um, <laughs> and it's really, I, I really appreciate that. Um, hmm, there's probably lots more, but because I'm asked. Well, if I you can't. think of anyone, you can feel free to email me and I'll add them. We, we, we always want to promote the lady leaders. <laughs> um, all right, Trulia. Well, thank you so much. I know that you're a busy lady. You're on lots of podcasts and do lots of interviews. And I found many videos of you online. So if anybody's looking to hear from Trulia, uh, you can find her even preaching, um, preaching a sermon on YouTube. Uh, so um, I encourage you to check out her website. And I will have all the things we talked about, books, people, websites, all the things in the show notes. Um, So thanks so much. Well, thanks for tuning in today, everyone. I hope that you learned a lot from Trillia. I think she's full of wisdom and I absolutely am so stoked that I have been able to connect with her and I was able to meet her actually at the Gospel Coalition Conference earlier this year and hand over her a copy of my book. So um, I hope you'll pick up some of her books. She has many as you as you heard today. And I hope you have a great day and join me next Tuesday for the next episode of Worth Your Time. This episode was brought to you in part by the Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.